It's an honor to be able to preach the gospel that God may be made known, loved, and worshipped through Jesus Christ for his glory and for our joy. Amen? Amen. I pray that everyone had a happy Thanksgiving. We have much to be thankful for in Christ. Isn't that so? I know I'm definitely thankful for what God is doing in EGBC. Oh my gosh, he's been faithful to us, hasn't he? Growing us, maturing us, cherishing us, nourishing us in his word, growing us in our love for others, right? Because I know some of us, we can, we can be introverted at times, have to get out of our comfort zone, but God is doing a good work in helping us to be about the gospel and actually um, expressing our love towards others. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, 38 through 42. Luke chapter 10, 38 through 42. I'll read the text. And I'll pray, and I pray that you be praying with me. When you have it, please say amen. amen. Luke chapter 10, 38 through 42. It reads, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed her, him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. (sighs) Heavenly Father, I come in the name of Jesus and I say thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that Christ be exalted. I pray that you grant me courage. I pray that your people be encouraged and edified. Um, I pray that there be repentance unto salvation for the unsaved. And I pray that you help me to even practice now the word that you are more valuable than any distraction we have. In Jesus' name I pray and I thank you. Amen. Let's get into the word. As we get into the text today, I want to ask you, have you ever felt like your day was so, so busy? Yeah, that's right. And in that busyness, you felt pulled in every direction. So much to do. No time to do it. Maybe you feel like that's the model of my life, right? Or maybe you felt like so much to do and so little time to do what I really want to be doing. Or you just got tired of doing it. Anyone just tired of just doing? Isn't that so? Would you agree that prioritizing things in life can be difficult at times? But for the Christian, life can especially be difficult when trying to find a healthy spiritual balance in our priorities of doing things for Jesus and just being with Jesus. It can be difficult when prioritizing responsibilities and doing and duties that are even God-given, such as being a mother or a father or a husband or a wife, a single person, an employee, an employer, and the list goes on and on, fill in the blank. 
Have you experienced the pull of life in different directions? The pull of family, the pull of work, the pull of culture, the pull of politics, the pull of your faith and even everything it entails. Isn't life consuming and difficult sometimes? Especially for the Christian who wants to do the right thing before God, but the weakness of the flesh shows up. You experience how powerless you can be. And sometimes you come to the point where you feel like you feel the anxiety and you feel that something has to give. I can't take it anymore. Have you felt that? Well, brothers and sisters, from the text, I want to show you what Jesus says is to be our priority. He calls it the good portion. So I want to talk about our priority, the good portion today. I believe that once we understand what our priority is in our lives as Christians, then by grace we can learn to properly respond to life and arrange our lives around it and have some relief of unnecessary anxieties and troubles that we might take courage and be overcomers as Jesus has overcome. How does that sound? All right, so to give you my outline, first I want to give you the context of Luke in two parts. First, why Luke is writing this book, and then the context of our text here at the end of chapter 10. Second, I want to, I want to go over a few dangers of being distracted. I think, it's, I think the Bible actually gives us some detail of what's going on in the soul of Martha, and I think it would be wise that we um, look into that. Third, from the text, I want to show you the Lord's solution, the good portion, what it is, and what it looks like. And finally, I want to hopefully encourage um, us by looking at the benefit of the good portion. Amen? All right. So Luke is a physician and a historian who's writing to a high-ranking official named Theophilus. Although Luke wasn't an eyewitness to the things he wrote, his goal is to give an orderly account from those who were eyewitnesses. So in this book, he deals with all that Jesus had begun to do and teach until the day he was taken up. One of the beautiful things about Luke's work is that he doesn't record all these things for the sake of recording. But in Luke 1, verse 3, he mentions that it seemed good to him to give an orderly account, having followed all things closely for some time. So Luke wasn't an eyewitness, yet he was personally convinced these things were true. He was persuaded. And many of us can, can relate to this because our desire to share the gospel comes from our experience with God as the Holy Spirit makes it real to us as we follow and learn how to follow the word. Amen? As we've closely followed the truth of the scriptures, we've, we've learned how to relate to God and we've learned how God relates to us. We've tasted of the fruit of obedience and the fruit of disobedience from sin. Amen? So Luke was convinced. Another beautiful thing about Luke's work here is not only did he get the information from eyewitnesses, including Mary, the earthly mother of Jesus, not only did he investigate for himself, but now after he had closely followed all things for some time, he wanted Theophilus to walk in blind faith? Not at all. No, no, no. He wanted Theophilus to be certain concerning the things that he was taught. He wants... Uh, he wants others to be sure. And this is something that we have to ask ourselves upon hearing the gospel. Is this true? 
Is it reliable? And we pray the Holy Spirit would make it clear so our faith is indeed certain. Amen? So there's 24 chapters in Luke. So in our text, we're almost halfway into his work. At this point of Jesus' ministry, he's making his way back towards Jerusalem. Some of us may remember this is where Jesus will suffer and die as a substitute for our sins. In the previous chapter, Luke 9, the 12 disciples are sent out on kingdom business to preach and heal everywhere. When they get back, there's still work to do. So as you read, you'll see Jesus is always about the Father's business. You see there's a priority for the kingdom of God in the life of Jesus. And at the close of chapter 9, you see there's a cost for following Jesus. And that which is his priority must be your priority. He teaches there's involvement in the kingdom. There's loyalty and there's a priority when following him. And you know what? Hanging with Jesus was a long day of ministry. No days off, right? And reading between chapters 9 and 10, you see there's this nice balance of Jesus teaching and demonstrating the character of God in word and deed. He perfectly demonstrates and teaches love for God and love for his neighbor. And Luke records all this in detail, and now we come to our text, the end of chapter 10, where Martha is initially doing well. She's welcomed Jesus into her home, and this is indeed serious for her. I'm sure it's serious for us when we invite guests over, right? She's being hospitable, and in Jewish culture, being, in Jewish culture, being hospitable wasn't just about having good manners. Not at all. God had actually worked this into his law. It was a God-given responsibility, and this hospitality wasn't limited to other Jews, but to strangers and foreigners and to the needy. So this was a big deal for Martha. Martha, a fellow believer in our text, starts off well, but we find her in common yet dangerous territory. We find Martha was distracted. Beginning of verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, the word distracted here means to be troubled greatly and to be drawn away with cares. It's to be overwhelmed with cares. It's like when you get tunnel vision, you can only focus on what you're focusing on. She was literally drawn away in what she had to do. Most likely she was preparing a meal, but whatever she had to do, she had a lot to do. It was plenty on her plate. And like Martha, things can distract us. Also like Martha... Even God-given services can distract us. And I think we can all sympathize with Martha um, because at times we have so much, so much. And we mean well. We start off with good motives, but in the course of having so much to do, our souls get troubled. Amen? This isn't right. I don't have enough enough of this. I didn't get enough of that. I still have to do that for them. In fact, have you ever had plans to have company come over and things weren't going as smoothly as they, were go- they should have been going in your head? Right? How troubling that is. Or maybe company came over and things still weren't in order and you start worrying about things that they're not even thinking about. <laughs> right? Do you see how quickly the joy, the love, the desire to do good Works can quickly be substituted for anxiety, where life actually lives you, where it's not 
so much you're doing the work with a good heart, but it's work. You're laboring by the sweat of your brow. Martha was distracted. Martha in her distraction, I believe she missed the central point of what the Lord is communicating to us. She missed the spiritual priority. The priority of first being loyal, being faithful, dedicated, also known as being devoted to Jesus. I would add even over loving services. As difficult as life can be due due to being pulled in different directions for various reasons, as troubling and as anxiety causing life can be. For the Christian, our priority is to be truly devoted, submitted to the Lord. In order to do that, we must give the word of Christ first priority. Sadly, many, honestly, many believe his word is outdated. They don't believe his word is relevant. And they substitute it with horoscopes and uh, motivational coaches or secular uh, philosophy, um, catchphrases. Sadly, many believe Christ has no value over their own itinerary. What they have to do or what they have to watch or where they have to go is much more important and worthy of their physical and, uh, and emotional investment. And this is revealed in their life's pursuits or how they spend time. The heart of the unbeliever first is driven towards personal desires and not to please God. God's way of doing things. As revealed in his word, God's way and God's righteousness is not even on their radar. But for the Christian, we value the word of God. We value Christ. We don't do it perfectly, but we know the only way we can know what true devotion looks like is as it's been revealed in his word. The word of Christ is the very word of God. In John 12, 49 through 50, Jesus says, For I have not spoken of my own authority. But the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the father told me. So what he said, how he said it and what he would speak was all from God the father. Not one word was wasted from Jesus. Jesus made it a priority to be with the father um, and hear his word. Mark says that he rose up early while it was still dark and he left to a solitary place and he prayed. And there's other passages where he would escape in the evenings to pray, to be with the Lord. And then we have passages where he says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. And as Christians, we have learned how sweet this word is. Amen. We know what it's like to have full stomachs, but empty souls because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We know that it's all of grace to be able to hear the word of God, to be called to him. But isn't this true that even in our knowing, there are times we find a way to prioritize things over our love for the Lord and his word like Martha. Even as Christians, there's times when we get so involved in what we have going on around us, even good things, that that the Lord and his word become a lower priority. We have to be careful that we aren't so distracted that we lose sight of what's really important. And this is easy to do. This is what happened to Martha. 
She lost sight, like we all do, and she fell into the dangers of being distracted. So there's at least two dangers that I see in the text that we should be aware of when we're dealing with distractions. The first danger of being distracted that we see from the text is we miss the character of God. Listen to this. Martha's clearly overwhelmed in her anxiety. In her troubled state, she forgets the character of God for his people. First part of verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? Has God ever not cared? But we feel it, though. We feel this sometimes. Martha has missed the faithfulness of the Lord's character. Does God care about what I'm going through right now? Does he see my troubles? Will he provide or do something about it? And she begins to grumble. She makes a fuss of the situation and she literally goes to Jesus and asks, don't you care? You see how she's missing the character of God for her distraction? If we're not careful, we can also be so carried away in stuff that we too miss the character of God and we can become selfish, critical of others, grumbling, and we can find ourselves angry and bitter. This even happened to Israel, Exodus 16 and 17. The Lord had delivered them fresh out of the slavery of Egypt, and they got a little hungry, and they got a little thirsty. The pressures of worldly desires, worldly needs, even valid needs, started to get to them, and they, they missed the character of God. Exodus 16, verse 2, the whole congregation of the Lord of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness and said, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, brothers and sisters, you know you miss the character of God when he has been nothing but good to you, but you forget his loving kindness and providence when faced with a little, a little trouble, trouble. When you forget his goodness and his faithfulness and you dwell on how good it was back in the day when you were a slave. Israel did it when distracted, and we can do the same thing. And if we're honest, distractions really highlight in our hearts unbelief. Unbelief. Do we really believe that God is really good? Do we really believe that God is bigger than our situations? Do we really believe that the Lord is for us? Do we really believe that time with God, undistracted in hearing his word, is more valuable than anything? Do we really believe he cares to even meet with us? We have to remind ourselves and we have to remind one another of God's love for his people through Jesus Christ. So we don't miss the character of God for our distractions. Amen. Another danger of being distracted is the false security in the responsibility of others. I'll say it again. The false security in the responsibility of others. Or you can just say false hope. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So Martha has not only missed the character of God for her distraction and accused him of not caring, but she's trusting that the solution to her troubles is in her sister doing her part. 
if only my sister was doing what she was supposed to do, I wouldn't be dealing with all this anxiety. Maybe for you, it's if only my wife or my husband did this or said that or my kids were more a little like this or my parents or church were more like this, then I'd be better off. Granted, some of that may be true, but if you are resting your well-being on the responsibility of others, except for Christ alone, you are bound for trouble. You are bound. This is the natural consequence of putting your trust in anyone else or anything else except for the Lord himself. And this is sin. Only hope in the Lord is the prescription for the murmuring soul. The psalmist writes in Psalm 42, 11, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, the context of the psalmist is, for some reason, there's some distance between him and the house of the Lord. And he's reminded of how glad he was in the presence of God there. He's not distracted in serving. However, he's troubled. And he's depressed by his circumstances. He feels like God has forgotten him if you go and read the rest of the psalm. He's taunted by his enemies. But I use this to highlight his remedy for the inward and the external pressures of life that affect the, soul, the state of the soul. His remedy and our remedy is hope in God. Especially when we ourselves are our enemies. Right? Look how, how short we fall of our own standards. So how can we call ourselves getting so upset by what others aren't doing, getting upset at the Marys, when we ourselves aren't consistent, especially before God? When we get distracted and look to others to save us, our hearts are naturally sickened as hope is deferred. The mind becomes uneasy. The heart sinks and fails when someone doesn't come through the way that we expect them to come through. And then we have to wrestle with not treating them all different because they didn't meet our expectations. Isn't that, isn't that so? Right. And if you look at the public scene, the world, the world, they get so angry. They get so anxious. They get so frustrated when their political figures or celebrities or role models or authorities don't do what they think they should be doing. How greatly troubled emotionally and devotionally they become as they are pulled in, in various directions, having placed their peace upon another finite man or woman. But the word says in Psalms 118 verse 8, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Psalm 146 verse 3 reads, put not your trust in princes in the son of man in whom there is no help or salvation. The only sufficient help to save you from troubles, to save you from the troubles of your souls is the Lord. Not Trump, not a Ernie, not a Doug, not a Justin, not a Phil, not a spouse, not a BFF, not a job. Only Jesus is sufficient. I remember there was a time in EGBC's recent past that uh, we were going through our, our transition and it became a genuinely troubling time for those who are here. Would you agree? It was a troubling time. Some were so distracted by the various parts of the process and things that had transpired with even the old pastor that they were missing what the Lord was doing with his body. Some missed his faithfulness, his faithful character as he maintained the fellowship 
of the spirit and Christ centered preaching. Some even blame their lack of commitment to not having a pastor when really we had three pastors. <laughs> but what the Lord but what the Lord did was he cherished and he nourished EGBC with his word. He matured and he is maturing this body to be devoted to God first and not man. But still, we still have to be aware of the potential to get so invested in who's doing what or who's preaching when that we lose sight of the one necessary thing, our devotion to the Lord. And as you can see, distractions can lead to sin. This is sin, especially if they cause you to take your attention off Christ and rest it on something or someone else. But if we, well, we have to see our sin so we can learn to value and see the beauty of our Savior. Amen. Jesus shows us his beauty in the next verse. He doesn't leave Martha in her trouble. Let's look at the Lord's response and then his solution. Verse 41 and the first part of 42. But the Lord answered, answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. Brothers and sisters of the faith, I know we can all recall a narrative in our life where we were doing something and we lost sight of the Lord in our hearts. We were so invested in what we were doing that Jesus was no longer on the radar. But what we have, all have in common, like Martha, is the first three words of 40, in, verse, in verse 41. Let's read it together. But the Lord. But the Lord. And I do thank the Lord for butting in. Amen? <laughs> he doesn't cower at our sin. He doesn't retreat when we get beside ourselves. He knows us inside and out. Sin doesn't scare Jesus. He deals with it. Martha went to Jesus. Lord, don't you care? Her heart wasn't in the right place, but the Lord doesn't leave her wondering. He doesn't say, what's wrong with you? He's not found to have harsh words. He's kind to his servants. He acknowledges her situation. You are anxious and troubled about many things. He understands. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He responds with a re rebuke full of truth, full of grace, a winsome reply. He graciously reminds Martha of the character of God as he redirects her attention to what's really important. He gives a solution. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion, the good part. But what is the good part? The good portion, the good part, I propose to you is the Lord himself, the word of God. And I say that because Jesus when Jesus mentions the good portion, <clears throat> he's talking to a Jewish woman, most likely in a room full of Jewish men. So when they hear the good portion, um, there's good reason for them to think of it as reference to the Lord himself. The Bible mentions portions clearly. And a portion is an individual's part or a share of something. It's what they, got, it's what they had coming. The wicked had a portion from the Lord. This is all over your Bibles as God is dealing with the wicked. He's as he's dealing with the nations. 
right? The portion of the wicked is explicitly stated in Job 18, Job 20, Job 27, verses 13 through 28 or 23. The righteous have a portion from the Lord. And in the Old Testament, in Numbers 18, the Lord gives Aaron the duties of the priests and the Levites. The children of Israel, as God prospered them in the land that he was bringing them into, God had instructed them to bring contributions to him. And Aaron and his sons as priests, they were in charge of the contributions. The Lord had given his people land. He gave them animals. He gave them um, wealth. But the priests and the Levites, they were landless. They were landless. Numbers 18, verse 20, the Lord says to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. So God himself, in keeping his commands, were to be their most valued and desired portion over everything else. Not the service they did, not the land or the tithes and offerings of Israel, but God himself. And this truth is later echoed even outside of the priestly office. As David, as king, says in Psalm 16, The Lord is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Asaph the Levite says in Psalm 73, 26, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Sounds like he knew it wouldn't be taken away. Amen? And in Psalm 119, verse 57, Either Daniel or David writes, The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. And now we, as God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, as 1 Peter 2.9 puts it, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, to proclaim the virtues of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't he our good portion? Aren't we strangers in a foreign land? Longing for the age to come. And until then, isn't he our reward? Amen. Also in the Old Testament for the people of God, when they were bringing their contributions, they were to bring the best part. And the Levites were to take a tenth of that best part and give the best part to the Lord. The best part was the Lord. It was to him. And what that shows us in part is that devotion to God and his commandments are the priority even over the best portions of what God blesses us with in life. We're not to lose our souls for these things. What good is it? What good does it benefit you to gain the world and lose your own soul? We're not to get so carried away in anything that it disturbs us and takes our focus off of Jesus and misplaces it in something or someone else. Or even ourselves. The Lord is the good portion. He is life and he's the best part of life. Now there's a question that we must ask the text. Think about this. Was the Lord telling Martha to stop working? And to sit down and listen with Mary? Is he telling us not to take care of our responsibilities? Not to do anything if we find ourselves caught up in everything? I don't believe that's what he's telling Martha, I, I, I don't believe that's what he's telling us. I believe he's, re- he's redirecting Martha's heart to help her remember who she is doing work for. He reminds her that even in busyness, she can be faithful. And the priority of her faithfulness 
Her devotion belongs to him, not her busyness. Through Mary, Jesus is reminding Martha to keep a devoted heart for the Lord. So whether in sitting or serving, who's the reward? The Lord is the reward. He is the good portion. He is the best part of being able to sit trouble-free, even though everything else is troubling around you. Yet he's the best part of serving because he is God. And because in him, service is not in vain. So for us as Christians, when we have to come home from work tired and we still have work to do, you know, day is never finished. When we have to love our enemies, when we have to love our neighbors or our spouse, even when we don't feel loved or we feel lonely. When we need to get into the word, but we're being pulled in another direction. In those times, we are to give attention and give priority to the Lord because it's for the Lord and it's for his glory. We have to give thought to his teachings. And this is why it's so important that we hide the word in our heart so we can hear the word as the troubles of life come upon us. We're not here in service every day, but we have the availability of the word especially in this day and age, every day. It's the only way we can develop a reverence and fear for the Lord to even consider his ways, the word. And the spirit of God actually helps remind us of his teachings. So let's look at a couple of passages so we can see how the Bible illustrates this, how it's to look for us. Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, Paul instructs the church of Ephesus. Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. It reads, bond servants, slaves. Now, I don't think anyone in here is a literal slave, but we are slaves of righteousness, amen? Yet we are free in Christ, amen? Okay, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would who? Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of who? Doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service. So do what you're called to do, mothers, fathers, children, churchmen, elders, with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good any, anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Colossians three eighteen through 25. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 25. For the household. I especially appreciate this because when it comes to disciplining kids, I don't want to get so caught up in the, the, the aspect of disciplining them that I forget I need to discipline them so they know the fear of the Lord. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands because they'll like it. No. As is fitting to the Lord and will like it. But as it's fitting to the Lord, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything because we don't want to get embarrassed when we're out in public. Because we, want to, we don't have to want to explain, our, explain things away. No, for this pleases the Lord. Are you guys getting the flavor that what we're to be doing is for the Lord first, not ourselves? Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, 
not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, Marthas, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Who are you serving? You're serving the Lord, Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done. He's going to get his portion, and there's no partiality. So to really break this down, I say for us, as we are in Martha mode, the Lord is our priority, and he's actually the fuel. He's the drive for our services. And once we focus on our service or anything else over the Lord, we invite the anxieties. We invite the troubles of life. And I, I have to admit, brothers and sisters, I fail at this at times. I do. Sometimes I feel like I'm doing so much. I'm always doing something, um, and it takes a toll on me. I feel it. I lose sight of Jesus, too. The one I'm supposed to be doing all these things for, and I start losing it. I get all depressed, you know. I get all in my insecurities. I get more introverted. Even when working on this, service, uh, this sermon, um, as a service to God for his people, I had to sit down and I was dealing with so many distractions pulling for my attention. My kids, daddy, daddy, come play with me. And I'm like, the sermon's not going to write itself. <laughs> but Lord, help me. I trust you. Right? Things I wanted to do. Or even having to get out of study mode and preach mode and just be with Jesus. And it can be so hard. Not, not feeling like, okay, devotion for the day, check. No. Being with Jesus. Full-hearted devotion. Even at Friday's potluck, when the Lord gave me an opportunity to serve, I was tired. But work needed to be done. And I was like, Lord, we really need some deacons. We need some deacons, Lord. Where's everybody at? Where's the team? But what had happened was my service had quickly become more important than my devotion to the Lord. But all I could do in riding home was actually thank the Lord because he exposes this in our hearts. Amen? He exposed it in my heart like he did with Martha because he cares. Because he cares. And for the Lord alone to be the good portion is of great benefit for us. Instead of focusing on the many things that can so easily draw us, in, draw us away with cares and pull us apart and agitate us, God made it simple for us, brothers and sisters. He made it simple. One thing is needed. The benefit of choosing the good portion is found at the end of verse 42. Mary has chosen the good part, verse 42 of our text, Luke 10 which shall not be taken away from her. Mary is where she needs to be. She's made Jesus her priority. She's attentive to his word, and he won't take that away from her. Luke writes this so we can be sure that devotion to the Lord is not in vain, brothers and sisters. We can be certain of that. It's not vain. It's not in vain because what God wants for us is forever fixing his word. And that is devotion, that is fear of the Lord and keeping his commands, for that is the whole duty of man, according to Ecclesiastes 12.13. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 3.14, whatever God does is forever. There is nothing to add to it, 
and there's nothing to take from it. God has done it so that people will be in awe and fear him. So basically everything God has done was done for him to be the priority of focus. Bottom line. He is a good portion and that is of great benefit to us because whatever he does endures. So brothers and sisters, think about this. What do you have when ministry's done? What do you have when your children grow up and leave the house or pass? What do you have when your loved ones leave or pass or if something happens to them? You have the Lord. What do you have when you don't have much and you don't have anything? If you're in Christ, you have God himself. You have the word of God. and he's ha- He has exalted his name and his word above all things. According to Psalm 138 verse 2. You have eternal life. You have everything you need for life and godliness through your knowledge of him. You have the solution to the anxieties and troubles of life. You, have, you always have an anchor for the soul. And you have the priority of life. And with heart-driven devotion as your priority, you have the aim to arrange your life to fit this priority as revealed in the word. Amen? So in closing, I believe Martha actually learned what the Lord was teaching. If we look in John 12, verse 2, Jesus is at her home again in Bethany. And there's a little shout out given to Martha. It mentions Martha, she's serving. And guess where Mary is? Still at the feet of Jesus. But this time, the mention of Martha being distracted is not there. If you are a believer here today and you find yourself overwhelmed by the demands of life, I would just encourage you to pray often. Pray often. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your burden upon the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Psalm 55, 22. I would encourage you to don't let your busyness cause you to neglect your devotion to Jesus and his word. Maybe you need to prioritize, prioritize being here where God has promised to meet his people through preaching and teaching. You have to work out what this looks like in your life. I would encourage the Marthas in ministry, don't let loving service for him cause you to, to neglect him and his word. Don't let your ministry, don't let even marriage or parenting, you can name it, don't let that neglect your devotion to him. But if you don't know the Lord today, the reality is you're not in any position to even serve the Lord like Martha. If you have heard the word today, God has again shown you his kindness before the day of the Lord. Maybe you feel like, I really don't have too many anxieties. Maybe you feel like life is smooth sailing right now. But the Bible does tell us there is the day of the Lord. There is a day that will bring great anxiety to those who don't know the Lord. A day so great that there will be people crying out for the mountains to fall on them, to hide them from the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. But if you come to the Lord, 
If you repent of your sins, believe upon Christ, you will be saved. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus. He's merciful, brothers and sisters. He's good. He's compassionate. His words are life to those who believe. And he will not put you to shame. Turn from your sin. Cry out to God with a sincere, believing heart for the salvation of your soul. I'd like to read a psalm in closing, 145, 17 through 20. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked will be destroyed. If you don't know the Lord today, listen to his word. There you'll find wisdom. And the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. And wisdom says, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. How many times have we sought our own path and only brought destruction and calamity upon ourselves? Because we're doing things outside of the wisdom of God. And the Bible also goes on to say in that text, all who hate me love death. Turn from sin. Choose the good portion. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come in the name of Jesus and we say thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, there are many things that are distracting even within us and even outside of us, Lord. But the truth is, devotion to you is much more valuable than anything we have. May we, are, may we direct our hearts and arrange our lives for this end, for your own glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray and we thank you. Amen.